Welcome to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast, where we are practicing the art of kindness and civil discourse and authenticity and storytelling. Our goal is to foster a healthy dialogue about race relations in our community. We seek common ground for common good and hope these conversations encourage you to build authentic relationships outside your race or comfort zone. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast. Once again, we are your host. I am Waylon Cubitt, and this is my friend, C.C. Jones Davis. Everybody. Uh, and it's been several months. It's been several months since we've been together because a lot has happened. So we're back on Zoom. We are still in the 2020 COVID crisis. Yeah. And so uh, because of quarantine and because of safety and all that kind of stuff, C.C. and I are again launching this podcast via Zoom. And as you know, a lot has happened in our world, not just COVID, especially when it comes to the national conversation on race. Uh, and before we start posting any new episodes, I feel like, Cece, you and I just need to kind of catch up on what's been happening in our in our personal world and our personal lives and why we haven't been putting out uh, these great conversations over the last few months and stuff. And I know you have a lot going on in your world. I have a little bit, I have a little bit going on in my world. And then layer in COVID, uh, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Miss Taylor, and dot, 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 right? Yeah. 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 It's, you know, it's been a lot, you know, the last, um, one of the last things that people knew about me was that I was um, recovering from surgery because I knew you guys had an awesome guest, um, guest, uh, you know, help out with the podcast for a few episodes. And I'm so, so grateful for that. Uh, and I was, I'm doing well. And um, I had to get all of my thyroid taken out. And I know that there's folks out there that, uh, that have had that experience too. It's not that uncommon. Um, but I have been just kind of working on getting my voice back, my speaking voice back, my singing voice back. Um, and, you know, it's been a trip. Like everything. Have you been back on stage? Have you been back on stage yet? No, I'm, you know, and I've been called on a couple of times, but I'm scared, you know, like I, I was in voice uh, therapy, voice lessons for a little while um, after. And I'm just, I'm just have, I just have some nerves about, uh, about getting out there and, and getting my voice out there again like that. And so, blowing, and blowing. Lord, you know, so uh, <laughs> sit back in the congregation for a while and sing, and sing with my hymn book like everybody else and blend on in. Right, right. Well, we're glad to, to have you back. Glad to see you look well. You look really, really good uh, and stuff. And so I know you've been busy with a lot of advocacy work. You want to catch us up on your advocacy work? Yeah, so a lot of our listeners know that I've been helping to lead um, the Justice for Julius campaign. Um, and a lot has happened since then, uh, since Julius uh, filed for clemency with the Pardon Parole Board. Um, we've had a lot of celebrity engagement that I'm sure a lot of Oklahomans have, have seen with, you know, the Kim Kardashians, the 
um, Blake Griffin's Help Me Waylon. You know, I'm not, this isn't my world. Uh, I've seen like uh, the quarterback from OU, now Cleveland Browns, Heisman Trophy winner. Right, right. Um, and, and, you know, that's been awesome. That has really been really helpful. But um, what is also true is that this is a really, really sobering kind of work. This isn't, this isn't something where you take victory laps because um, somebody, you know, there was a terrible crime that took place uh, 20 years ago. Uh, and that, that family is still very much reeling around that, understandably. And so this advocacy work to uh, try to help un people understand why so many people believe that Julius Jones happens to just not be the one who committed this terrible crime, it's sobering, it's hard. It's hard to know the balance. It's hard to know exactly what to say and how to say. It's hard to forcefully try to save someone's life when somebody's life has been taken. Um, mm. and so I, I can tell you um, that I approached this. You know, I'm really grateful for all the celebrity support because um, I think it really helps to amplify the importance of the story because it is really important at the same time. This is not something that I have or will ever take a victory lap about. Um, but yeah. we, yeah. you know, we're in a, we're, this is, this is, if you've been watching the news, um, this is a fight. This is a fight over what we believe is right or wrong. This is a fight over whether our criminal justice system is or is not broken. It is a fight over um, how we feel about the death penalty and if the death penalty is, is a racist practice. Um, it's a fight over whether one particular person committed a heinous crime. So, um, I, you know, as you can well, imagine, let me ask you this. I'm stressed. Let me ask you this. So, how how has our current climate and conversation about race impacted your advocacy work when it comes to the Justice for Julius campaign? Yeah. You know, I think it has been in some ways helpful because what it does is. You know, I have, I'll, I'll be honest, in all of my time in talking about race and advocacy, I have never found a time like the present, like the present when so many people are ready. So many people are ready to lean in. So many people are ready to do something beyond the initial conversation. And, um, you know, a lot of people over time always have always asked, you know, okay, after the conversation, now what? What's next? After we have dinner together, after we go to each other's churches, after we have play dates, you know, what's next? And my answer to that has always been that the work of racial conciliation is about working together unjust practices and policies. That, that is the work for me of racial reconciliation because racism um, collect, has to be addressed um, structurally. And because it's, it's a structural matter, it has to be addressed by a collective. So it can't be just one person. It can't just be two people. We've got to be able and willing to stand together and say, oh yeah, that is wrong. And we are gonna say something about that or we are gonna do something about that. Not just the black church or not just the, you know, liberal white people or, you know, whatever. No, we can all see that this is wrong. We're going to do something about it. And so, so I see in this moment when we've had so many crazy things happen in the news, 
people are ready in a way that I have never seen before to take the next step and to say, okay, did you say a man is on death row in Oklahoma? And there might be some, some real issues around that where the state might execute him. And I say, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And they say, okay, I wanna, I wanna learn more about that and I wanna help. Yeah, um, and it's really funny. It's really funny that, uh, that that has been the response. And when I say funny, I'm just, I'm not saying like, ha ha funny. I'm just like, it's, it's, it's peculiar in that I know that I have heard you uh, and many people have heard you and has been on the email list and they see this stuff on the news uh, and they have been hearing what you, you say, but then all of a sudden George Floyd happens or, or one of these other incidents that happens. And then people say, now, wait a minute, tell me that again. So they're listening. They have been listening with their ears and, and all of a sudden they're listening with their heart. Yeah. Now action is being like, what steps do you want me to take? What steps can I take? Becomes right. the question, but you haven't changed anything about the narrative. It's been the same narrative that you've been yeah, saying. That's right. And it's about, it's about the readiness of people's hearts. You know, um, when I heard Julia's story, my heart was in a place where I was ready to receive it and ready and open to it. Um, and, you know, that the heart has to get a place where it believes what other people tell you. Now, that's not to say that there, there are people who lie. That's not to say that everything you hear is the truth. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. But a lot of us um, have ignored the fact, have heard it, but ignored it for a long time, the, the notion that the criminal justice system is racist or the criminal justice system is not in the advantage of African-American men or the criminal justice system um, gives poor people an unfair shake, you know? Um, right. but, but when you see symbols of our criminal justice system and not just one and two, but s several, when you see these symbols and you can see with your eyes, you know, people literally losing their lives underneath the weight of the symbols of our criminal justice system, then that starts to do some, that starts to register. The narrative starts to register differently because now you've seen something with your eye gates, which is the opening to our souls. You've seen something with your eyes that now you can't run away from anymore. You can't throw some statistic at you saw a man lose his life to yeah. our criminal justice system. So now you have to grapple with all that people have been saying all this time and it opens people's hearts. Well, I've seen you at press conferences. I've seen you behind the scenes and I've seen you, you have been so steady uh, as you get good news of people spreading the words. And as you get bad news, maybe from the attorney general, you have been steady. And <laughs> I certainly admire, admire the way you rock and the way you roll uh, in, in doing your thing. And so it's really, really cool to see people get, rally around you and, and support you uh, in your effort and believe in you uh, and I'm sure the family appreciates uh, what oh you do. Uh, uh, right. I really love them. And I really appreciate um, all the support that people have have given. And what I knew from the beginning of something like this was that this was going to be a really big risk. You know, doing, doing something like this, challenging um, age-old systems like this, um, requires a lot of risk. But for in my world, 
you know, in the ways that I think risk is love. Risk is faith, you know, like you can't have faith and you can't love people without risk. Mm. And so I would much, I would much, much rather risk um, stepping out here, making some people uncomfortable, um, maybe make, you know, maybe being an inconvenience, maybe for the attorney general, I would much, I would much more risk that than to know I sat back and did nothing, had no response and a potentially innocent man lost his life. That I can't make it with, that I can't live with. I can live with everybody else being angry with me, not understanding me, wanting me to shut up. I cannot stand before my God and have this, the ladder on my conscience. Gosh, Whew, you are something else. So let me ask you, I, I know I, I'm not, we're not supposed to be interviewing you, but I just, when I hear you talk and, and see you act, I gotta ask this question. Yeah. Because I know there would be something in this space. If there was not the Julius Jones issue right mm -hmm. now, what would be on your plate? What's next? Oh God! Because it ain't empty. <laughs> what is it? What is? It? What are you doing? What would? You, what is in the back? What are you like? Well, I need to get. I need to get over there and get on that. So I hope somebody get on that. Cake. What is it, Cece? What is it? I, to be honest with you, I've laid down so much in order to do this that on a regular basis I look back over on that plate and I'm like, oh my God! Like I have so much I need to do. So um, I'm. I've finished an album. I'm working on a devotional. Ah. Yep, I finished the album. I'm working on a devotional book. Um, I I'm about to get ordained in the Disciples of Christ Church. Um, yeah, you know, I, you know, I've got so much going on. I've got lots of lots of little dreams and hopes, right? Um, but I've just I've laid most of that down for for this time so that I could be of service in this, in this way. And then, you know, I just want to, you know, the thing that I want most right now is to find some balance in life and to make sure that I am appropriately present for my children who are mm. growing up so fast and they are growing up in a really fast paced, confusing world. And they've got a mom who is thrown into the trenches of that fast-paced, confusing world. So they just roll with the punches. And, you know, um, my daughter, you know, she's nine and, you know, she feels like she's saving some, trying to save somebody off death row, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, so making sure that as I find balance, I offer balance to my children. And as I work on hard things, remembering that it's so important to reflect on what's great and beautiful about life because I don't want my children to just think the world is bad you know I want them to believe and to see that the world is beautiful that it's it's worth fighting for that people are mostly good and that um you know it's okay to like rest it's okay to find restoration for your own soul. Like you can't fight everything all the time. So right. the world is full of people and the people, people are worth fighting for. Right. Yeah. People are worth fighting for. People that's why that's why we serve, because people are worth it. One hundred percent. So now 
Okay, that's enough about me. Let's move on to you. Ah, come on. Do yes. we have to? Yes, we do. Okay, well. You have been mighty busy. So wait, wait, wait a minute. We have, no, we didn't even introduce you well. We didn't introduce you properly. You are Sheriff Waylon Cuban. You're not just sitting around here. Waylon yeah. Cuban, you are Sheriff. There's going to come a day where I do believe that you can give me that uh, that title. What do you mean? There's going to come a day. Yeah. So I, I, we'd had a primary election. Oh, okay. Back me up. Uh-huh. Yeah, we had a primary election. I did have an opponent on on my side of the, the the partisan race, and I done well. I won the primary convincingly. Okay. So it was very, very, it was very, very humbling. I was so grateful, so so grateful. Uh, so <laughs> many friends. How does this work? So for sheriff, you have a Republican um, candidate yeah. and a Democrat. Candidate. Yeah, there's a there's Democrat and a Republican side. Uh, it is really confusing to me why somebody in the justice field, like a sheriff or law enforcement, has to pick a side, uh, Democrat or Republican. I feel I still I feel like it's just justice, right? Yeah. It's just justice work. So I don't feel like there's a partisanship, but that's the that's the way it's set up in our state. And so uh, I'm on the Democratic side. That's just how I was. I was uh, registered, and and so I don't necessarily always vote that way. Vote for people, in principle, not necessarily uh, the politics of it, not the thing. But and so I'm going to be asking people to do the same thing. I'm going to be like, man, just just look at the message, look at the man that you know, look at the man uh, that what I've done, my body of work, and see if it fits into your idea of justice, and give me your vote. That's kind of what I what I've been been saying. You okay. know, forget the Democrat or Republican thing. Okay, yeah, well, let's, so I come from I come from a, a naming and claiming faith tradition. So, look here, I'm calling. I'm gonna go ahead and call you sheriff. I know everybody out there got to vote. We got to vote, people. We got to vote. We got to vote. <laughs> <laughs> sheriff, I'm gonna go ahead and keep on because I've been calling you sheriff all this time. <laughs> you have, you have, you have, and I don't want to let you down. No pressure, but I don't want to let you down. Not, not you, not you. Right. So, proud so listen. I got to get your take. Uh, well, let me give my take on yeah. current events. Yeah. Current events. Uh, law enforcement. I'm a, I'm a police officer. I'm a career law enforcement professional. And George Floyd just tipped the scales. Mm -hmm. uh, as an, uh, an African-American that does law enforcement, it tipped the scales. It threw me into a frenzy. It, it was embarrassing, was hurtful. Uh, you, you wanted to rip your 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 badge off for yeah. a time. Uh, it, it, it was just that bad. Mm. It, it, completely uh, baffling. Like how how does this happen? Yeah. You know how does this happen? And so I don't know what to how to say it beyond that. But I will say, fast forward. There was a lot of conversation, encouraging conversation from friends across uh, the city uh, and across the county for that matter about, okay, how do I process this race thing now? Mm -hmm. How do we talk about it? Very encouraging. I, sent, I spent six hours on the phone uh, one day all about race. Mm -hmm. uh, race, race and policing, dot, 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 dot. Mm -hmm. uh, and so 
I'm happy to be a resource uh, for my white friends uh, or non-people of color friends. I love to be a resource for them and, and to do this. And so it was conversations that we never had with people I've never had before. So it was really uh, encouraging. On the flip side of that, Cece, I don't know if many people recognize this, but I have a lot of brothers and sisters that wear the uniform. And when you have some of them calling, checking their 401k to see if they can get out of this profession. Yeah. Uh, for various reasons, because they're being unfairly uh, characterized, uh, because it feels unsafe, because the trust is, 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 is uh, the, the distrust is amplified at the moment, still having to, to protect your community, still having to go into dark, uh, unknown situations uh, and still uh, asked to do the job at a professional level when you're being hated yeah. for something that happened in another state or another city. Then you have this whole mantra, if you will, of Black Lives Matter that, that many officers can get behind the idea, but let's face it, some people have hijacked the Hijack the Black Lives Matter to do some really terrible things and really dangerous things. And so what is an officer to think when they see uh, Black Lives Matter? Is this the, is this, what fashion of Black Lives Matter is this? You know, and so it, for, for a man in uniform, a man and woman in uniform, this is a very stressful time. And, and then for a man that's running for office, the one in the lead an organization uh, and asking people to still put that uniform out and do this, I'm like, it's such a time as this, Lord, please, please send some guidance. Only imagine, you know, it it is it is um a really, really tough time. And I believe though that but I truly believe that even though the events have not been good, it is good for us. What the outcome. The yeah. outcomes are about to come. Yes, uh, yeah. yeah. So that's what that's this is what keeps me going. Yeah, this is what keeps that's, me going. That's what I mean. You know, I used the analogy. We, I might have used it here before, but you know, it's almost like I ha always have this imagery of, you know, the earth, you know, coughing, coughing up its wrong. Just, just every now and then, going through these cycles of of needing to purge, needing to cough, mm. and mm. Um, we are having a coughing fit. Um, and it, in my mind, is um, God with his hand on our back, not making these ha things happen, but causing us to get up out of us, get up out of ourselves, what is in us that is killing us. And wow. if these things could be cured, if God, could he wave a wand and it all, like, be fixed and all? Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Um, but what would that level of change that level of change would kill us if it was simultaneous if it was it was too powerful it would we couldn't survive the power of all being changed and so what happens is you have a 1960s where you know god has his hand on humanity's back and helping us to cough up our wrong and so the end result of that is you get civil rights and voting acts and you know all Boy. of these now god has his hands on humanity's back yet again helping us to cough up some more 
we think about this so often in terms of being linear, you know, this is not linear, yeah. this is cyclical, you know? Wow, wow. Linear. We think since we're in 2020, I can't believe this is happening in 2020. And I used to say that all the time. And then, and then I, I needed to stop saying that because I, humanity, brokenness will always be the same. The, the brokenness does not change. It, it might change in terms of how it comes out, but it's always, it's always about at the root, it's always about fear. It's always about selfishness. It's always about hate. It's always about those things that make us sick at, at the core. Right now, you know, and so my point is that we should stop being surprised to a degree and we should take these moments and opportunities to, to receive the healing that we're being offered, you know? And I- It's funny that it's really, it's really ironic that we talk about the sickness yeah. during COVID, right? And, and COVID being a virus, but, but, and then after we go through this, we start looking at maybe the virus has been racism. Right, you can be a carrier of such a thing and pass it on to somebody and even not even know that you're carrying it. Come on, right? And and, and it can impact that virus could be living with you, you going about your business, and it's right. not affecting you. But what you have passed on to somebody else, you don't know how it's going to impact them. They might end up in the ICU behind something that you got that you're walking around and don't even know you got it. You, you preaching, know, you, you know, preaching. You, you never know how one thing is going to impact. And that's why we, we have to get rid of the sickness because it, the ways it impacts and the devastation it causes is on a spectrum and it's a dangerous spectrum. Yeah. So, you know, I, I've, I've told one person that I kind of look at today's, that we don't have the hood and cross racism per se as much as we have uh, back at our great grandfather day right that was the that was the heart of racism mm -hmm. what we have now right is the blood of racism it's pumping and we're not seeing the hoods and we're not doing all that kind of stuff we're kicking the can of racism down the down the road without even realizing that it is that mm -hmm. right and which is which is why people are saying wait a minute how could this happen in 2020 let me call my friend my black friend my other friend of color and ask a few questions because i've been hearing this stuff but I did not realize it was this front and center, right? And so now we're seeing the blood of racism, not necessarily the heart of it, right? right? There's people that are willing to, 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 not, to not do it, not to have it, just don't recognize all the aspects of it, mm -hmm. right? We wanna understand the disease a little bit more. Like we're trying to figure out what is the, what is the, what is the, uh, uh, the how do we fix the virus? What's the antidote? What is the, what is the, the thing that's going to stop it? Because we need it. And I know it's going to take some time. I know it's going to take some time. We'll get there because, because we have people working on it diligently now. Right. Focused on it now. And you know what I, you know, it's going to take, in my estimation, what it'll always take. It will always take love. It'll always take a holy rage and holy is important to stay in front of that because anger is, is not the sin. Like anger is not the problem. Anger is a motivator. If we're not angry about what we see, we 
are not going to be motivated to to get out here and do anything about it. So so constructively, anger is a really really necessary thing. So so love, holy rage, and it's going to take humility. And I think yeah yeah me, you know the black the African American community has you know good gracious has had to practice a very special kind of patience over centuries. You know? Some resiliency, some resiliency, right? Resilience and a, and, a, and a lot of patience. And what I really want to say to, to continue to say to people of color is we still need that patience. We still and need- And grace. And what? And grace. Yep, right. we need patience well, and grace yeah. because- mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead. I, I have been talking about that aspect along with my black friends. It's like, yeah, they're coming to you. Don't you get tired of Don't answering you. and responding? Don't Give, you. Yeah, I feel so bad. So we they, they they come to you and they go, oh, I'm speaking up and asking questions. And then we go, oh, just that question is racist. I don't even know why they say that. Speaking up and that was right. They said that all wrong. And then if they don't say nothing, like they know better. They ain't saying nothing. Why can they ain't saying nothing? They can't win. Where's your grace? Absurd. Where's your grace? That's absurd. You cannot, you cannot expect for people to be vulnerable, to be open to transformation, open to change, open to seeing things differently and shut the door in their face and expect them right. to stand in there right. for you to open right. the door. I understand the, I understand being frustrated. I understand being tired. I understand all of that, but we cannot grow weary in well doing. And we can't stop telling people what we think the books that they need to read. Or, you know, a lot of my friends are just like, listen, go Google. I don't have time to be telling. And, and, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and for me, if somebody is vulnerable enough to come ask me a question, you know, I'm going to try to walk a mile or two with them, you know? And, and yep. that's my, for me, that's my responsibility. If somebody comes, it's to be, it's to be um, hospitable, open in that way to people. And because I think that if we get callous, if we shut our hearts down and off, if we, you know, become all of these things, then we are no better than the oppressor. And the oppressor is not a person in my mind. The oppressor is an institution. A, a, the oppressor is a, is a spiritual thing, you know, at the end of the day for me. And so we have to make sure that we do not take upon ourselves the characteristics of an oppressive nature because, because we've been oppressed for a long time. Because if we do that, then we're going to ultimately find something or somebody to oppress and then God's not going to be pleased with us either. So we're going to have, to, you know, so, so that grace that you're talking about, we've got to keep and have and operate in grace. Yeah, man. So, so I, I, I keep trying to tell uh, my friends, you know, keep, we need to build up our white brothers and sisters when they come to us, we need to build them up, coach them up because they can go to places we are not going to go. They need to take our feelings, our experiences, uh, our perspective into places we're not going to be at tomorrow or the next day, right? Mm -hmm. that, that's the only way they can be an advocate, an ally, and, and a friend.
Yeah. You remember those Roach Motels back in the day? They, 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 I love those commercials. They, so they, they would go and say, these Roach Motels, the Roach would go into this one little thing and they get that, that, that residue, that raid residue on them, and then they go back to the, to the herd and they would, they would affect the whole herd. But the, the whole herd never went to the Roach Motel, right? right? So, so in, that, in that thing, our friends come to see us we put the residue of information and feeling and perspective all over them. And when they go back into the, to, to the herd, they, they give them, they spread what they got on them to them. And, and, it, and slowly but surely, we, we pass along uh, the unity message that we really just want. We, that's all we want is equality. Nobody, the whole country wants equality, not revenge. That's right. right? That's yeah, right. yeah. So that's, that's really good. So, the, uh, what else is going on? Mm. What else do we need to talk about? Mm. We have some exciting guests. I know we have M.T. Berry, right. the first uh, and only African-American chief of police from the Oklahoma City Police Department. He is coming on probably next week, I think. What an honor. Yeah. And then we have the opportunity to talk with uh, Court and Anitra Thomas, who as an African-American couple that lives in a predominantly white uh, area of Oklahoma City and in a predominantly white school district, and they're thriving and making friends and phenomenal story of support that they got in their neighborhood in the time of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery, dot, 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 dot. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's really an encouraging story. So we really wanna encourage people to come on back. We're back in the studio via Zoom, if you, if you can count this a studio, uh, re recording and talking and having great conversations. Yeah, listen, I, I'm excited. You know, there is so much to talk about. We could probably talk for hours and hours about what's going on in the world right now, but um, I'm excited about our new guests and I'm excited about the future of the podcast and uh, I'm excited about our listeners um, being able to just hear different perspectives and I really want to invite our listeners to share with us you know if you feel like you um, have stories or guests or um, you want to hear about something particular on this podcast you know we have a Facebook page I'm sure you can comment there but you I would love for you guys to reach out Right. And here and here's the thing that I got. I did get this hit up. It's like, oh, you guys have such powerful guests on your show and, and all that kind of But we want real people and real stories. So we don't really care about the stardom or, you know, all of that stuff. Just phenomenal stories. There's phenomenal people. And so we'll welcome those suggestions on and, and, and invite those people onto the guests. We'd love to have them as guests also. So close us out. CC, close us out. Everybody, thank you guys for staying with us, sticking with us. I've run into people all the time that listen to the podcast, and you guys cannot know how appreciative we are that you stick with us and listen and engage. We're just trying to um, create space where we have uh, a, an opportunity to um, demonstrate civil discourse and talking about hard things. Uh, we're here to find common ground for the common good. And it's really my honor, our honor, to be with you all the time. So until next time, peace out. Love somebody. Be sweet. Be kind. Take care. Don't wear yourself out, Cece. I'll see you next week. All right. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast. 
For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. If you like what you heard, please take time to leave us a review and share it with your friends and family. It really does help us to get these conversations out to more people. This podcast is a production of United Voice Oklahoma, one of the initiatives of the Stronger Together movement, and is produced by OKC Good and Reese Black. For more stories promoting a healthy relationship on race in Oklahoma, follow United Voice Oklahoma on Facebook or visit unitedvoiceok.org.